Tomorrow is the uh, memorial celebration of D-Day. And if you've been watching the news at all, uh, you know that. And uh, on the 6th of June in uh, 44. And what was so amazing about that had that not taken place, the whole configuration of freedom today would be completely different. Hitler, of course, actually possessed Great Britain. He controlled France, Norway, on and on and on and on. And as a result of that, finally, when America woke up, uh, and that's uh, what one writer said, when America finally woke up, we began to realize that though that, uh, all that drama was taking place uh, over Great Britain and France and those places that it affected uh, the United States of America. And that's when, because Hitler's goal was to totally annihilate anyone that got in his way, and, and that included America, even though that was, he felt like if he had the power out of Europe, he actually could, could conquer uh, with uh, the United States of America eventually. We woke up and decided to build some allies together. And D-Day, of course, was that period of time. They started in 1944, uh, June 6, but in 1943 is when they started the preparation uh, for the invasion of what we know as Normandy D-Day. The uh, scientists, the engineers, the military strategists uh, planned for more than a year uh, had the first night, uh, of course, uh, June 5th, uh, the weather was so bad that the invasion had to be delayed by day, i.e. June 6th. And they only had two, maybe three nights out of each month that they could actually invade. Had they missed that window of time, I'm sure you knew all this, but it's an introduction to my message, so bear with me. It, uh, they would have had to wait to the month of July. And so they made it. The weather was really, really rough. Actually blew some of the amphibious tanks and, uh, and the military carrying troops off target. It, Germany, they had five million, get this now, five million landmines along the coast of France. If you can imagine that, Eisenhower, of course, how many ever met him? May I see your hand? Okay, I didn't think so. Um, Eisenhower knew because he was told that potentially he would lose 80 to 90% of his troops in the first wave of invasion. Said that really uh, gave him sleepless nights to know that he was sending young military men into battle, knowing that that larger percentage would not make it. They would die. As a matter of fact, on D Day, we know that those that were are killed and, and uh, desperate, 10,500. The number of those fighting with Hitler, of course. Germany ranges, they say, from 4,000 to 9,000, who knows. Uh, but we know that there, there were that many. As a result of that, the speeches that were given 
And when they found that we would lose that many, that many men, either Americans or those fighting with us and allies, uh, they said, but our deal is wave after wave after wave will continue to advance to the shore until we conquer the enemy. That was, in fact, the, the plan, wave after wave. The airmen, the paratroopers landed, of course. The uh, soldiers uh, arrived, and it was uh, the, the Germans. They were set up. They were ready. They were waiting. They just did not know quite when it would take place. But when it did, they, of course, had really bunkered in to be able to fight whatever enemy that was there. They just did not know that the U.S. and its allies had the, had the desire to stick with it until they conquered. And as a result of that, D-Day is not, you know, a big day that most of us say, oh man, D-Day. Uh, but D-Day was the day that turned back the enemy powers of Hitler and his regime that said you will loose as a matter of fact france was liberated because of the, the u.s and allied forces and as a result of that hitler and his regime and his power really hit bottom of course and had that not happened the the freedom that many parts of europe today and possibly the united states would not enjoy the freedom that we have today because somebody made a decision to say it is absolutely worth it. As I read the history, it said it took the United States several years to be able to come to the conclusion that we had a major problem because there was a secrecy that Hitler virtually mesmerized people into believing this. He would carry a Bible with him and say that he believed this book right here. And the whole time in his deranged mind, he had no relationship with God whatsoever. But the trickery of deception and demonic power in his life made him come to the conclusion, whatever it takes to deceive. And of course, he made all kind of promises to the precious people, and they believed him because they were suffering. And it was all, it was all a lie. You see, we were hit in 9-11, uh, going toward 18 years now. And we got the shock of our lives. We never dreamed. We talked about terrorism being thousands of miles away in the Middle East over there. We never thought that it could come and knock on our front door and pose a real threat until the three airplanes, two that crashed, uh, of course, into the buildings and the one in Washington at the Pentagon and then another one out in a field, we never dreamed that would ever be possible until it actually happened. And when that happened, it changed the way of security systems, the way that we travel. We then came to the realization there is a real enemy who does not like freedom at all. And that enemy showed up 
at a time arranged, practiced, rehearsed, developed their strategy, and came to us a little bit while we were asleep. And boy, did we ever wake up. The other thing about that, and I've shared this, is, is the church. Of course, after that, church attendance just jumped straight up. And that lasted, get this now, according to the reports that I read, and I've read many, lasted six weeks or less. That that attendance, six weeks or less, that people, buddy, I better get back in church, get back toward God, get some religion going for me. And that lasted about six weeks. And then it slumped back down to lower than it was before 9-11. In other words, in our moment of fear, uh, we respond correctly. But unless that fear continues to knock, and it is a real threat that we think, hey, 10 days from now, another plane is coming. And then two weeks after that, another plane or another whatever attack took place internally. Uh, we, we got to the place that we thought, okay, that was one big deal. And buddy, we're going after it. You and I can be mesmerized by the powers of darkness. If in fact, it can be done by one man, and there are many others that have deceived the people of God, deceived nations who have taken advantage of their leadership positions, many of them, if they can do that in human form, I promise you the devil can do it in many, many, many forms. We find in our text tonight, and that text is going to be found in Exodus, the 17th chapter, it is the place where finally the, the grudge and the animosity came up full bore as, as the Amalekites, who were the descendants of Esau, uh, decided that, that they had an opportunity to attack the people of God, the people of Jacob, and they thought it's high time. They caught, of course, they caught the people of God at a time of weakness. I mean, we know that Moses led a group that had come out of the wilderness and, uh, and of course, delivered out of bondage from Egypt. And they had not been trained to fight. They had no enemies that they needed to fight because they were slaves. You just do what you're supposed to do. And that was the situation. And when they made their way in, of course, to the arena toward the promised land, the Amalekites thought, that's not going to happen. And they set their strategy up. Moses is still leading now. He's having to deal for, for, with some dissatisfied people because uh, they, uh, they're getting well fed by the manna, but water was a shortage. And they'd been out there a while, and, and they were hot. And we know a whole generation in the wilderness and the initial group that left Egypt died out there. So this group, they do not have the history that their moms and dads had. And all of a sudden, we know that Moses gets the word. The Amalekites are, are sharing and ready to go to war with you. And so Moses, of course, did his best to try to respond to that. The Amalekites of Esau, we're going to attack Jacob's family. And Moses, that just has to be you. So how do you manage that? And how do you manage any attack from the enemy? 
How do you, how do you manage uh, an emotional uh, difficulty in your life, that the emotions of your life is just out of sorts? How do you manage a nervous condition all the time? How do you manage fear? How, how do you manage anxiety all the time? How do, how, do you, how do you manage unfortunate circumstances? How do you fight back? Someone has all, they've often said, I'm not a fighter, I'm a, come on now, I'm not a fighter, I'm a, I'm a lover. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something, friend. Sooner or later, you're going to have to determine that loving alone is not going to get you to your place of destiny. Well, do you mean we shouldn't be lovers? No, we ought to be lovers of God, but haters of the flesh, of the detestable things of the enemy. And so we know that Moses and the people of God said, here we are facing that attack. And so it was when the Amalekites began to attack, it was not a fell swoop. They attacked the back of the army of Moses and Joshua, and in the back, that's where all the old men were. They're the ones that would not be in the front lines. They were supply technicians. They were individuals that brought encouragement. They were individuals. They had fight in them, but physically they could not do that. And of course, they served water to the troops, etc., ammo, all of that stuff. And that's where, to begin with, that the Amalekites attacked and took that out. When that happened, it so angered Moses that Moses decided we're not going to be lovers. We're going to have to fight because if fight is what they want, we're going to have to bring it to them. And that is the same thing. If you study a little history about D-Day, that's the same thing that, that the leadership of America and the leadership of the Allied troops had to say, we're way behind the eight ball because Hitler in his regime intended to fight whatever got in his way and to capture and take it in whatever way that he could. And to begin with, you read the story, he had almost zero resistance because he was very subtle in his activity, promising everything under the sun in order to gain ground. And then when all of a sudden somebody woke up, they thought, we've got, we've got real problems. We are behind the what? Eight ball. Man, y'all are some kind of saints tonight. We're behind the eight ball. One day I'm going to Google that and find out what that means. But. So there are some things that in this message tonight that I pray will encourage you in whatever challenge that might come your way. One is God's presence. Say that with me. God's presence. How many of you appreciate God's presence. May I see your hand? Now, we know the Bible said that he abides in us. If you abide in me and I abide in you, then he says, you can come to my throne and approach me and ask. And I will, in fact, meet those requests. Study deeply. It doesn't mean, well, hey, I'll tell you what, I want a new Harley Davidson motorcycle. God, you're my buddy. I love you. You're in me here. And now I'm asking, I want a brand new 2019 Harley Davidson full dresser. Pray all you want to. But if you ain't got no money, honey. Amen? Unless you got rich relatives, how many have one? That would loan you no we don't you pray the bottom line is we understand that we have to have 
the presence. So here's our text for that. Exodus 17, 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men. Notice some of our men. And go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, he said, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God. The staff of God, not the staff that's mine, but the staff of God in my hands. So Moses accepted the challenge and began to get his troops to gather. He gave the unusual instructions to Joshua. Let's try to paint a picture of who Joshua was. Joshua was mentored by Moses. Joshua considered Moses the man of God. But Joshua also considered Moses to be an old man. Everybody with me? He was a young man. And just as young men think today, what good is an old man? Well, the Bible has a lot to say that you better not kick the old men to the curb because in the old men happens to be the wisdom that you need to help the young man finally make it through life. Everybody with me out there? I know you'd love that one. How many of you are just flat out old? Yeah, I know. Here's what he said to Joshua. Son, you got to capture Joshua's mindset. He had followed Moses. Moses had yet. Moses had made mistakes in his own leadership, but we're going to battle. He says, hey, Joshua, you go down to the battle. He said, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to have my staff in my hand, and I'm taking Aaron and her with me. Well, <laughs> why do Aaron and her get to go with you to the top of the mountain? You with me? You can't avoid rational thinking in Bible stories. Well, why do they get to go with you? But Joshua had learned to pay attention to what Moses said. You see, this represents the wisdom of God. There are a lot of things in this book that we do not understand. And let me just take a step right off the cliff. There are a lot of things in this book that we may not agree with. You understand? Oh, yeah. Turn the other cheek. You know how we deal with that? I'll turn the other cheek. But, buddy, after that, you better wait because all I got is coming at you. You missed the whole principle of what he meant. Turn the other cheek. You say, do you wholeheartedly agree with that? Yeah, that's what I teach my kid. Buddy, he's in the fifth grade, and I tell him, anybody bullies you, you just turn your other cheek, son, back up from them, and, and don't let them come at you again. That's what you're going to do. You know what the average red-blooded American man tells his son? Son, don't you back up. If he hits you, you ball up, and you go at him with everything you got. And you know the between the bully and your kid, and you say, in Jesus' name. Everybody with me out there? So Joshua says... What's, what's up with that? So anyway, he followed that wisdom. The purpose of that instruction is Moses represented the one key figure 
of the massive presence of God. God spoke directly into Moses' life. And the, the staff that he had represented an instrument of anointing. There had been a lack of water. The soldiers that Joshua was leading had been murmuring, but now they are cast into battle. Okay, Joshua, you want us to go into battle? Hey, what, what's Moses going to do? Well, boys, I want you to know, you'll understand. You look up on the mountain there, you, you're going to see Moses. Well, it looks like to me there are three up there. Yeah, that's Aaron and her. God, Moses got them up there for some reason or another, and you want us to come down here and fight? Yeah, and about that time, the first wave of the Amalekite military men, seasoned military, military men came, and buddy, you don't have time to us now you just got to fight Moses from the top of his lungs watched or Joshua watched Moses hold the staff high Joshua began to say have you noticed something we're winning we're outnumbered we're out strategized we're not fighters we're not military men we're not equipped but here's what, hey boys, take a look. Come on now, take a look. Look at that staff that's up there in old Moses right there. Have you noticed as long as that staff is up that we win? Do you we win? I mean, you might not duck soon enough, but the bottom line is there are more of the Amalekites that are beginning to die when, when we are winning. May I suggest to you that in every segment of your life, in every part of your life, in whatever season that you are in, you can always expect God's presence to be with you. Amen? He doesn't hide in the shadows. He doesn't run. He doesn't duck. He does not hide. God says, I will be with you. David, of course, in Psalms 139, verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? It's a question mark. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Amen. That is a promise that the psalmist shared with us and said, here's the bottom line. There's no way you're going to go in any season of your life, but what God is going to be there with his full bore presence. Say amen. I'm there. I'm there. Several points. He gives us rest under pressure. Exodus 33, if you're taking notes, you might want to look. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Number two, he gives us courage in battle. Deuteronomy 20 verse 1, and when you go into war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Number three, he comforts us in trials. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Number four, he makes a majority. 
He is the majority. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Amen. Hallelujah. You say, well, how many is that? It's you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make a majority. Amen. And there is no giant and no challenge you're ever going to face that's bigger than the God that's in you. Finally, he will not be absent in trial. He doesn't tuck his Patoot. Matthew 28, 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, always in the very end of the age. I could imagine that some of those young soldiers, because in that day in 44, people were more religious minded than we are today. I can imagine that a lot of those troops had been raised in a Sunday school class, maybe a one-room church. I would imagine that some of them had grannies and grandpas who knew how to pray heaven down. And I would imagine as they suited up for battle and put on that helmet and crawled on that boat and those amphibious tanks and went toward the shore that many of them knew what it was to pray because they knew without a doubt the strong possibility I will not return back to see my family when we say we have pride in America don't forget the troops who sacrificed on D-Day or any other war to maintain the blessings that we enjoy today number two we have God's power God's power, Abraham or Moses had that in Exodus 17, 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. I don't know, Moses apparently had a mischievous streak. I know some of you that have the same streak. I'd be holding it up. So look at him, buddy, we're winning. And that little bit of mischievousness might cause him to drop it down and said, uh-oh, look at him now. He held it up. His arms got tired, but he knew. Why did Aaron and her go? Remember, Joshua asked, why did they get to go up there? Because when old Moses said, my arm's tired. My arms are tired. Aaron, her, hold them up. As long as my arms are up and that staff is there, we win. You see, the bottom line, had they not been there, then the battle would not have been won. They were as important in what they did in the framework of victory as those in the middle of the battle. Moses shared with Joshua that he would hold his hands up toward the battle and toward God. And the Israelites had no military training or strategy. They did. And here is the key that I think is extremely important for all of us. They paid attention to what Moses, their godly leader, told them to do. They paid attention. In battle, you always need to fight your battles with the encouragement 
of other people. Amen? With the encouragement to say, no, you're not going to fall. They did what God had spoken to them through Moses. They simply placed their faith in God Jehovah. And our text says, as Moses' arms were up, Israel won. And in the heart of adversity, many times we often become afraid when the challenge is great, become desperate, and we feel powerless. Listen carefully, friend. There are times God will, get this now, put you on the Isle of Patmos by yourself. It's not all the time that God says, hey, I'm going to put you in a nice small group. And you guys are going to find it. There are times that the Lord has his hand on you and you fight your battle initially by yourself out there. I have I've shared this. I had a, one, of our, one of our leaders call one day, Pastor Blackburn, Friday morning. We can't make payroll today. We can't do it. Would you please come over here and pray? I said, I'm studying on Friday morning. Well, we knew you did, but we just need you to come and pray. Okay. I'll be over there. Took me 15 minutes to get there. Said, okay, would you pray? They're in their office. I said, wait a minute. I'm not praying in this office by myself. Go get your bookkeeper. Go get your lead team. Bring them in here. If we're going to pray, we are going to pray. And they went and got them, brought them in there. They thought, what in the world is about to go on? They've called for the preacher to come in here now. Because that team knew we didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough money to beat payroll. And, buddy, we prayed. It wasn't, now lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. God, if you don't mind, bring in the money now so these people can get paid. No, we prayed. I prayed. I put my hand on every last one of them. That afternoon at 3 o'clock, I got a call. And he said, Pastor, one of our clients that owed us $10,000, that's owed us for months and we've tried to collect, came by with a check and gave it to us and we're able to meet the payroll they were fighting their battle over there in that office by themselves and of course what they needed is they needed a miracle and the miracle comes from the power of almighty god he can move the heart of somebody that owes you and they'll come up with the money amen he can move an adversary away and it'll come up but how you relate to that source of power sometimes the source of power that it cannot be measured it cannot be it cannot be contained it can't be explained often but the when god answers your prayer by his almighty power my friend you know ain't nobody else that did that except the lord amen we give him the praise and we give him the honor because he has power and that power comes through obedience and the power of prayer and though his power we know we've seen in scripture he can raise the dead heal the sick calm the raging storm he can he can bind up the brokenhearted and he can calm the fear of the faithless Psalms 23, verse 1. I know you know it. It's right here. The Lord, read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Come on, read. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you believe that, put your hands together and let's thank him for that. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Finally, God's purpose, God's presence, God's power, and God's unique purpose. God is, God is always up to something. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, I wonder what he's up to now? Anybody? I wonder what he's up to now. People say that about me from time to time. No, Sharon doesn't say it that way. Here's what Sharon says. I know you're up to something. Just trying to live out my testimony. I know you're up to something. See, God's always up to something. But most of the time, it's not what we think he's up to. So Exodus 17, 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Now, Moses and Joshua won the battle together. And it was the usual custom to honor the general in the battle, which in this case would have been Joshua. But Moses built an altar, called it Jehovah Nessah, meaning the Lord is my banner. And there were several reasons why Mr. Wisdom did that. He knew that the only way they won was because God's presence had determined you will win if you do what I ask. So they built an altar as a memorial to God. The second thing, it would remind Joshua that it was God who enabled them to win. So Joshua, you're not going to get the medal pinned on your chest. It's going to be a memorial for you to remember. You did a good job. But you're not the reason that you won. And finally, it would signal that the Amalekites would cease to exist ever again as a foe. Once they were beaten, that was all she wrote. I mean, it's as if that temperament, their existence simply was annihilated and it would declare that that God had not forsaken his people and would fulfill all his promises. And all of us now on Sunday night, I challenge people that had never told the testimony of what God had done. And I saw many people that very seldom, of course, ever come into the altar who came into the altar because they knew, here's what they knew, they knew I knew what God had done for them. 
And they just came in this altar and virtually as a witness and said, God, I, I was up against it. I was down and out. I was getting whipped, beat around, spat upon. But you came down your holy presence and I'm just letting the world know around me, look what the Lord has done. Amen. When you do that, when we bring glory and honor to God, I want you to know it swells the advantage that God gives us and causes the enemy to flee from us. God always has a purpose. So wherever your journey is and whatever battles you've been fighting, God has a distinct purpose. And as individuals, we have faced the threats and the fears and the uncertainty. So we believe that by the grace of God. When we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but was blind, but now I see. That miracle in you and in your family and God's favor toward you has a distinct purpose. Don't let it get away from you. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you because, God, in your word, you said we're your people. If we, you call us by name and we humble ourselves and pray. You said that, Father, we turn from our wicked way that we would hear from heaven and you would forgive our sin and you would heal our land. I pray because we know that there's a major memorial of a battle that took place where a lot of lives who were committed to be able to fight battles who gave their life willingly, knowing that they were going into death's chamber. And yet they stood as young soldiers and said, we will not retreat because they had seen the good old American flag. They, of course, had witnessed the testimony of many individuals who had paid the, paid the price for freedom. And God, here we are tonight we know how to fight our battles. God, we know that we have your power, we have your presence, and that we know that we have your purpose. And if we just simply are obedient like Joshua was, instead of trying to second guess what Moses was saying, and if we could just do what Moses did out of obedience to God, instead of Moses trying to second guess God, and if we could just be as obedient as Aaron and her and not try to second guess what Moses was saying from God. God, when all of them got together and just did what they were supposed to do, then you gave them the victory. And you are giving victory to many, many people and many families at Victory Church. But God, just in case there's someone at home right now or someone in this room who may not know you as Lord and Savior, they haven't necessarily been as obedient as they need to do. They haven't given their heart solely up to you. And they really need to do that. They're holding back. But they need to become full bore and really engaged in the full transformation of what you can do. We have the privilege of asking you to forgive us for that. And to be able to claim that place that you have for us. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room and those of you watching online, if you would repeat this prayer after me right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I ask for forgiveness. 
I believe by faith that Jesus died for me, that his blood cleanses me from sin and unrighteousness. So here I am, a human being, ready to follow you. Make my life count. Don't let me make mistakes. Let me follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God answered prayer. I believe that. We're going to give people an opportunity as we sing this song. And then the guys, they're going to carry on worship maybe another 10 minutes after the benediction here. But if you have a need, a physical need, or there's someone that's really on your heart, and you say, God, I need them to make a journey back toward, back toward the altar of God, and you say, I just want to stand in for them and pray the prayer of faith, or you have your own physical or, or financial need, you slip down here right now and then stay with me. I'll give the benediction, and then you can do. You can continue to worship, or you can slip out. Here we go, everybody. Sing with us together. Those of you who need to, come on down. Father, I thank you tonight for the Word of God that has brought strength and energy and instruction and comfort and inspiration to each of us. We honor you, God. We know that the strong portion of our culture today failed to honor you in a way that would bring pleasure to your heart. But we stand representing many that don't even know that we do, that just says, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your purpose in my life. Thank you for your holy presence. And thank you for your dynamic power that you've shown up many times and you rescued me. When I was about to go under, you gave me a resolution to a challenge. When I was weeping until my heart was torn out, oh God, you came down and mended it in my broken heart. I pray now in Jesus' name, you would touch every person here and give us a great balance of the week. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. If you have to slip out, you're welcome to. If you just want to stick around and keep worshiping, you can be seated or stand up. We're going to worship maybe another 10 minutes. God bless you, friend.